What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. I'm your host, Ben Carson. So happy that you're able to join us today. We have another great guest for you today, and I'm thankful that he's able to find some time because when I, when I read what he's doing, you'll say, does he have time to breathe? Uh, Ian Rowe is our guest, and uh, he's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute where he focuses on education family formation, adoption, and upward mobility. He's also co-founder of Vertex Partnership Academies, a network of character-based international baccalaureate high schools in the Bronx. He's chairman of the board of Spence Chapin, a nonprofit adoption services organization and co-founder of the National Summer School Initiative. He's also a senior visiting fellow at the Woodson Center and a writer for the 1776 Unites campaign, which acts to counter the harmful narratives of the 1619 product. But if that's not enough, <laughs> Ian was also the CEO of Public Prep, a nonprofit network of public charter schools based in South Bronx and Lower East Side of Manhattan. Prior to that, he was deputy director of post-secondary success at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, a senior vice president of strategic partnership and public affairs at MTV. He also worked at the USA Freedom Corps office in the White House and was a Teach for America early starter. He received his computer science engineering degree from Cornell University and MBA from Harvard Business School, where he was the first black editor-in-chief of Harvest, the Harvard Business School newspaper. He's the author of the book Agency, which is about empowering America's children. But perhaps the most outstanding thing is He's a husband and a father of two. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> a married, yes, yes, yes. A, Indeed. <laughs> a married father of two, yes, exactly. Well, welcome. We're so happy that you could be with us. Sir. Um, I'm, honor, I'm honored to be here. I'm, I'm exhausted just listening to that, uh, that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, you have a remarkable background, but... Um, you know, all these things that you've started and projects you've been involved in obviously takes a lot of fortitude, intellect, and, uh, and courage. But what was it like for you growing up? Your parents must have had a huge influence on who you became. Oh, yes. Well, well again, thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's an honor to meet you, someone who I have uh, looked up to for many a time, uh, both for the work that you've done and also the courage that you've displayed and just standing up for core values and American principles. So thank you. I, 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 I know there are moments when it can be very challenging when you are challenged. Um, and so I like to think about those people who've, who've gone before me, um, who demonstrated courage. So thank you. Um, as far as my parents, absolutely. Um, everything that I've done in my life 
is some function of the fact that my parents were married for 48 years uh, before mm. my dad passed away. But they demonstrated to me that life can be an adventure if you find the right partner and with the right values and focus and partnership, you can do some amazing things. Most important of which is to build a family. And uh, my parents were uh, immigrants. Uh, they both grew up in Jamaica, West Indies. Mm. Uh, they met, they courted in Jamaica. My, my, my father, well, I guess uh, he was my father at the time, but my, my dad, uh, he used to pick my mom up uh, on horseback uh, <laughs> for, the, for their dates in the country. And uh, they had a wonderful romance uh, in, in Jamaica. And he decided that he had reached his, um, he had reached his uh, apex of what he thought he could achieve educationally. And at the time, Jamaica was still an English commonwealth. And so my dad uh, went to England to continue his studies. And after a few months, wrote to my mom's family in Jamaica, wrote for her hand in marriage. And after some consternation and discussion, uh, my mom at 19 years old, um, you know, she got the blessing of, of her parents and the rest of the family and her sisters, which was a big deal. Uh, and she took a boat all by herself uh, to go to England to meet, you know, to, you know, to be with her buds. That's what they called each other. And they got married in England and they had my brother and then I was born there in London as well. Um, and then my parents started uh, their adventure. They, they ultimately came to the United States. My dad was one of the first black engineers at IBM. Uh, my mom worked for what was then uh, Manny Hanny, you know, Manufacturers Hanover. Um, maybe some of your listeners will will know that, and they built a life. You know, they 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 came. They they weren't running away from Jamaica. They were running to the United States. Amen. You know, you know when they came to the United States in the late 1960s, obviously the country was embroiled in a lot of racial strife and riots all across the country, but they recognized that the the country was changing. The Civil Rights Act had passed, the Voting Rights Act. There was opportunity here, even in the midst of this strife. And, uh, and they, also, they always talked about just being prepared. You know, this is a country where you'll have opportunity. The question will be, are you prepared to capitalize on that? So they, they placed a great value on education. They placed a great value on faith. Um, frankly, you know, when we first came to New York, um, after a little bit, we, we moved to Brooklyn, um, and my, my parents were frankly not that um, excited by the way they saw uh, a lot of young black men being developed, and they, they almost built a little cocoon around uh, me and my brother. And uh, so, you know, <laughs> my schedule was, you know, you wake up in the morning, have breakfast, go to school, come home right away do your homework, have dinner, study some more, go to bed, wake up, have breakfast, go to school, come home right away. <laughs> it looks like it worked. Well, you know, they, inst they basically instilled the value that, you know, anything could really be attainable if I put, if I put my mind to it. You know, it sounds very cliche-ish, but they very much believed that that's what this country had to offer. Well, were you the exception or was your brother successful too? That's, that's a more complicated question. Um, my brother and I are very different. And, um, you know, Thomas Sowell, uh, the great uh, economist and social uh, theoretician, you know, says that, uh, you know, in a society, you know, we want to achieve equity. You know, we want equal outcomes. Like... How can you achieve equity in a whole society when even in a given family, you might have two children that are raised by the same parents in the same household and you can get very different outcomes. Absolutely. And, and that's what's happened in many ways with my brother and I. So he, he's in New York, but we let's just put, the way, put it this way. We've had very different uh, life trajectories. Mm. And, um, and, you know, and so I think that's a point for your listeners. Nothing is guaranteed in life. You know, even living in the greatest country on earth, nothing is guaranteed. There's, um, you're given opportunities, 
And the question is, are you ready? You know, can you take advantage? And uh, you have to be ready for those moments when things don't go your way. And do you have the resiliency, the agency to pick yourself up? And that's very much, that's very much what we try to do in our schools. You know, we, um, you know, we're living in a time where if you have a certain skin color, a certain background, everyone's telling you how much the world is stacked against you. Right. And we very much try to say, maybe that's true, but that doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to overcome. And that is such a key factor. You know, um, in this country, a good education is your ticket to realizing the American dream. It really doesn't matter where you came from or what your background is. And that's something that we used to emphasize. And you hear it emphasized less now. It's more about being a victim. Yeah. But uh, I suspect that probably had something to do with the Vertex school system that you're working with. Well, yeah. So I've, I've had the honor. I mean, I've had the honor of uh, running public charter schools in the Bronx since 2010. Um, so for 10 years, I ran a network of elementary and middle schools, public charter schools in the South Bronx and Lower East Side of Manhattan. And those were all uh, all boys and all girls schools, so single single sex schools. But the challenge was, you know, we educated them pre K through eighth grade. You know, we had more you know more than two thousand students um, in our network. Our wait list each year was close to five thousand. Mm. Um, just a tragedy when you had parents, almost exclusively low income, primarily black and Hispanic parents, who just wanted a shot. You know, for their kid to go to a good school, just like you just said, even if you're born into a challenging situation, if I can get my kid into a great school, then there's a chance for he or she to be successful. And in New York City, um, you know, like like in much of the country, even if you get a solid education through eighth grade at the high school level, there are very, 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 very few high quality options. So after running a network for 10 years of elementary and middle schools, I endeavored to launch a new network of values-based or character-based high schools. So I've launched Vertex Partnership Academies, our first campus here in the Bronx. It's organized around the four cardinal virtues of courage, justice, temperance, and wisdom. Mm. And the whole idea is that I want our kids to know that they can do hard things, that they can lead a self-determined life, even in the face of life's inevitable barriers. Sometimes those barriers will be based on race, sometimes it will be based on class, or sometimes it's just the luck of the draw. That's the way, that's the way life is. And so the question is, are you ready? Are you part of a community that supports you, that, that when those inevitable moments come, you have the kinds of supports that allow you to propel forward. And so, yeah, so Vertex, I hope to grow it into a large network of high schools in the district that we just opened, um, the first Vertex Partnership Academies. Only 7% of kids in this area of the Bronx that start ninth grade, four years later, graduate from high school ready for college. Wow. And so many of the kids who grew up in that kind of environment, uh, particularly in our inner cities, uh, end up functionally illiterate, even though they graduate from high school, uh, which is, you probably heard the statistics in Baltimore oh, uh, yeah. a few months ago. Oh, yes. 23 public schools, not a single person was doing math at grade level. It's, it's I mean, what happens to these people? Well, uh, you, 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 you know, we're filming this at a time when the affirmative action uh, decision was just announced by the Supreme Court to ban uh, race-based affirmative action. And I took a look at some data. In 2015, of all fourth grade black students in the country, based on the National Center for Educational Statistics, or what's called the Nation's Report Card, only 18% of black fourth grade students were reading at what's 
considered grade proficient level. Mm. And in 2019, if you take that same cohort now at eighth grade, only 15% were reading at proficient levels at eighth grade. And now it's the year 2023. By all estimates, less than 20% of black high school seniors are reading at grade level. The issue isn't, in this case, the lack of race-based affirmative action. It's that they're ill-prepared far before they arrive. Right. And that, my hope is that decisions like this one will actually reveal the urgency. Just that you just said, you know, Baltimore, 23 schools proficiency. I could go state by state, city by city, and tell you shocking numbers of the achievement levels. And by the way, not just the black kids. I mean, unfortunately, we have an educational crisis across race in our country. But this is what we're trying to demonstrate does not have to be the way things are. Yes. Well, I've been of, of the impression that there is a dumbing down of our society that's going on. Because, uh, you know, when you look at some of those man on the street interviews, uh, and they ask people really basic questions like, yeah. who fought in the Civil War? What countries bordered the United States? They have no idea. And if, if you're basically ignorant, you're very easy to manipulate. 100%. 100%. And, you know, in New Jersey, the New Jersey State Board of Education just determined that they're going to lower, you know, to your point about dumbing down, They've just decided to lower the criteria for a student to graduate from a New Jersey high school. And with the current protocol, with the current standard, something close to 39%, only 39% of kids graduating seniors would meet the criteria. Mm. But in changing the cut score, now suddenly, 80% of the kids meet the criteria for graduating. Who does that serve? Does that serve the kids? Uh, no, it serves, it serves the bureaucrats who can now claim that, oh yeah, 80% of our kids are, are graduating legitimately, and it's not. This and, is what we have to fight against. And it's not because there isn't adequate money. When you look at the per capita spend, there is plenty of money that's oh, yeah. being thrown away or something's happening to that money, but it's certainly not going to educate the kids. Yeah. In New York City, you know, we're north of a $30,000 per student in the public school system. Think it's, what you could do with that with Vertex. Well, we, we are trying. You know, charter schools receive a fraction of what traditional district schools do. So. So our hope is to prove that we can get far better outcomes than the traditional school system for far less money, for far yeah. less public dollars. And, uh, and, I, and I will say not every public charter school is great, nor is every traditional district school bad. But unfortunately, en masse, you know, the charter schools generally outperform the traditional district schools. And exactly. there are lessons to be learned from that. Yeah. Well, we're going to be right back in a minute with our fascinating guest, Ian Rowe. And we're going to talk a little bit about, is there a difference between single-parent homes and two-parent homes? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. 
So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with Ian Rowe. You know, there was a Brookings Institute study some years ago, I'm sure you're familiar with it, on poverty. And this was a gigantic study, and they concluded, and of course they're a left-leaning think tank, uh, they concluded that to reduce the likelihood of you living in poverty to 2 to 3%, which would be much better than the national average, you had to do a few things. Number one, graduate from high school. Number two, get married. Number three, wait until you're married to have children and get a job. Mm-hmm. That used Seems to be logical. common knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> now, now it's the subject of a big study. Um, but, you know, there seems to be some kind of a organized effort to decrease the relevance of fathers in the home. Mm. And that's been going on for quite some time. You have these silly caricatures of dads, and, you know, a lot of women are just saying, you know, I'll just raise the kid by myself. Yeah. What the heck do you think is going on there? No, no, no. no. So uh, what you, the, the data that you referred to is uh, often um, called the success sequence. And, and let me tell you a little funny story. Um, when we were designing Vertex Partnership Academies, our high school in the Bronx, we were visiting uh, some other, this is right before COVID, we were visiting high-performing high schools just to get a sense of, of how they operated, practices we may want to incorporate. And so we were visiting a high school in New Orleans. And uh, this was all ninth graders in, a, in, a, in an extremely low-income uh, part of New Orleans. And the, the, the the class was of black and Hispanic and Asian students, almost all low income, almost all living in poverty. And I said to the, 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 this group of kids that we were starting to teach the concept that you just described uh, in our schools in New York, and we were meeting fierce opposition. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, can I try an idea with you? And I said to the students, and the teacher gave me permission, and I said to the students, the class of ninth graders, and I said, if you knew that there were a series of decisions in your control, that when other students just like you practiced those decisions, 97% of the, the people who followed those series of decisions avoided poverty, would you want to know what those series of decisions are? And the students looked at me and they said, well, yeah, well, of course, why wouldn't I want to know? And then I said, well, you know, there's some grown-ups who think that I shouldn't tell you that maybe you'll be insulted, maybe you'll be offended in some way, that you can't handle it, so better I not tell you at all. And they looked at me like I was crazy, <laughs> right? They said, what are you talking about? You tell us, let us decide whether or not that information is valuable. Because, you know, we live in the conditions we live in. If you're saying there's a set of decisions that other kids just like me have done and they've allowed them to escape poverty, why wouldn't you tell us? It was a very powerful conversation that we then just, we ensued to have, where I shared with them just the data that you talked about. That if you finish just your high school degree, get a full-time job, and if you have children, Marriage first, 97% of millennials who follow that set of decisions avoid poverty. And the vast majority enter the middle class or beyond. And what was amazing, and, and, and the way we had that discussion, I said, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. In the sense of, I'm not telling you, you must do this, but here are different pathways of decision making that you can follow in your life. This one pathway predicts that 97% of the time you'll avoid poverty. This set of pathways indicates 40% of the time you'll avoid poverty. This set of pathways, you know, you, you, you get the full gamut. 
Right. And what was it? Because, you know, you're the architect of your own life. And so what was interesting about our discussion was at the end, I felt that the students felt that they had been treated as respected future decision makers in their own life. And that's what yeah. we're talking about with agency. So, and in particular, to understand the importance of family formation. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. There's this growing narrative that somehow fathers are less necessary, that marriage is not important, that, you know, you can just be a dad. I mean, there's, there's someone at Brookings. It's, it's ironic that Brookings was one of the first sources of the success sequence data. Simultaneously, Richard Reeves, who's a, who's a senior fellow at Brookings, mm -hmm. has just written a book called Of Boys and Men, uh, which does some great work to highlight the issues facing boys and men in our country. But one of his conclusions is that fatherhood needs to become an institution divorced from marriage and divorced from cohabitation. So my 14-year-old boys in my high school, I'm supposed to tell them, oh, yeah, you can go get that woman pregnant. You don't have to marry her. You don't have to um, even live with her. And it's just the most uh, irresponsible. It's irresponsible. It's irresponsible. And it's it's not theoretical. The, in the community in which I am right now, in the Bronx, the non-marital birth rate is 84%. But do you think the government has uh, been partly responsible for this? I, there's so many forces now. I mean, in the 19... Uh, you know, in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, the non-marital birth rate across the whole country was certainly single digits. Right. And in the black community, it was higher than the norm, but it was maybe around 20%. Right. When Patrick Moynihan did his famous report mm -hmm. on the Negro family, the non-marital birth rate in the black community was 23.6%. Right. I think this was 1965 or 66. And he was sounding the alarm bells then saying crisis, 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 that we have to got to get a hold of this issue because maybe a part of this was a legacy of slavery. He even wrote about that. But he said, if we don't get a hold of this, it unto itself will become its own self-perpetuating force. That yeah. single parenthood will become the norm. And certainly over the course of these last 50, 60 years, welfare policies that disincentivized marriage, that created perverse incentives to actually have children outside of marriage, all of this has created a culture where marriage is not the norm in certain communities. Yes. And that, it, that has been devastating, especially within the black community. It has been. And, you know, what's interesting to me is uh, there are a lot of people on one political side who don't even want to have a discussion about it. And they certainly don't want people to hear the other side of the argument. They don't want them to hear the statistics that you're just yep. talking about. Yep. And uh, this is particularly the case on our university campuses. Uh, don't want to talk about it. And, you know, I remember uh, going to one of Al Sharpton's uh, national meetings and talking, everybody was shocked that I was there. But uh, <laughs> no, no, we have to be, we have to go everywhere, right? Yeah, we do. Well, I mean, at the end of the, at the end of my talk, standing ovation, people wanted autographs and pictures because they generally don't get to hear the other side presented in a reasonable way. Right. And it is very reasonable, but if you don't hear it then you just listen to all the propaganda that's going on. Well, you know, what's very funny is that oftentimes the people who are, you know, not talking about marriage or they're elevating single parenthood or in their own personal lives, they've followed the success sequence, right? They've gotten their education, gotten a full-time job, gotten married, then had children. So they're getting the benefits of, stable families and everything that comes along with it. But yeah. heaven forbid they say that this is the preferred way for the rising generation to live. Do you think any of this has something to do with uh, 
second wave, second wave and third wave feminism? I know that's kind of a controversial topic. No, no, it's definitely connected. I mean, you know, for for many women, you know, now they live under the pressure of, you know, do I do I have a family? Do I work? Um, and you know, it, it it creates challenges. It creates choices. Um, but there's no question that the role of fathers and mothers, um, you know, forty, fifty years ago, were the traditional situation where you had a man and a woman um, married with children, the man was working, mom staying home. That's very different today. Um, and, and and on one level, good that more women have opportunities, certainly, certainly more than my mom uh, um, uh, did. However, we do have to recognize that when we think of what are the best environments for children, for children, the data is overwhelming that a married two-parent household has far greater benefit in almost every statistic that we care about. Correct. Quality of education, health care, engagement with the criminal justice system, civic engagement, voting, um, criminal activity. I mean, just incarceration, everything. You will see a dramatic difference in outcomes between kids raised in married two-parent households versus single-parent households. That is just the case. And that's across race. Yes. I often talk about the racial wealth gap, which is often used as proof of contemporary discrimination, racial discrimination in the United States, because it is a fact that the based on the 2019 survey of consumer finances, the wealth of the average white, the median wealth of the average white American family is about $160,000 more than the median wealth of the average black family when mm -hmm. race alone is considered. But if you look at just two other factors, family structure and education, the median wealth of the average black married college educated family is about $160,000 more than the median wealth of the average white single parent family. Yeah. So almost completely reversed. Reversed, yeah. And it, isn't it also fascinating that when you look at blacks who immigrated here, you also don't seem to have that wealth gap? No, it's, absolutely. Because guess what? Oftentimes they're married there's a value placed on education. There's a value placed on faith. There's a value placed on ambition. Mm -hmm. And and that doesn't have to be isolated to just immigrant communities. You know, and that's again, why I run schools. I want our students to know that same ambition, that same sense of achievement, that same striving that you often see in immigrant families exists in many native-born families. It's just that we, we have to ensure that kids have access to schools that are cultivating that kind of, um, that desire, that commitment, that sense of agency. That's why school choice is so important. But family structure is at the root of it all. It doesn't Absolutely. mean that you can't be successful if you don't, you know, if you're born into a single-parent household. They never want to give that impression. I suspect, uh, I suspect that's why so many of the Marxists in their writings of uh, 50 to 100 years ago, when talking about the United States, said that they're much too strong to bring down militarily. But mm -hmm. if you want to bring them down to attack their faith and their families, isn't it interesting that those are the things that are under attack in our country? It really, I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. The level of religiosity in our country is I think at all time lows, the, 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 the fastest growing category is what's called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, meaning no religious affiliation. Um, certainly family structure, I mean, the non-marital birth rate, I was saying earlier, was in the single digits um, in the 50s and 60s. Now across race, it's 40%, 40% of all babies. And in, the, you know, yeah. and, and in particular, younger Americans, 
the non-marital birth rate for women 24 and under is about 71 percent you know it's 91 percent in the black community 61 percent in the white community that's of young women 24 and under so what that says is that we have another generation of young people coming up in pretty tough situations and those are the kids who are in my schools which is why it's so important we teach things like the success sequence in our schools that is absolutely part of our curriculum break the cycle somehow correct well we're going to be right back with uh, an incredibly fascinating guest ian rowe just a minute worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole well good thing instacart shoppers are as picky as you are they find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back with Ian Rowe, author of the book Agency, the four-point plan for all children to overcome the victimhood narrative and discover their pathway to power. And you've hit on something so important, the whole concept of victimhood. You know, my mother was probably a poster child for somebody who could be a victim. She came from a huge rural family in rural in Tennessee, desperate poverty, shifted from home to home, got married at age 13, trying to escape desperate poverty. Wow. Uh, years later, found out that her husband, my father, was a bigamist, had to try to raise us herself with less than a third grade education. But... I'll tell you, she never made excuses, and she never accepted excuses from us. She memorized a poem called Yourself to Blame, and whenever we had an excuse, out came that poem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should get that. Yourself to Blame. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up. What, what a difference it made. But, you know, this mentality of, of victimhood is so harmful. Why do you think so many youth are, are plagued with it? Well, part of it is that they're being told it over and over and over again. I mean, you know, we live at a time where many young people, particularly of a given race or income level, that they're told that there's, the system is rigged against them. They're told that America, from its very outset, um, you know, according to the New York Times 1619 project, you know, this was a, uh, you know, a, a, a magazine issue, but then it turned into an actual curriculum being taught in schools. That they're being taught that the founding principles were false when they were written. Mm -hmm. That the country wasn't even founded in 1776. It was founded in 1619. Right. That the country has anti-black racism in its very DNA. I mean, the... Um, the, uh, the, the messages of victimization that you're oppressed simply based on skin color or you're an oppressor, right. both of those archetypes are, are wrong and damaging. And so, yes, young people are being told that regardless of effort, you're unsuccessful. In fact, I just mentioned the racial wealth gap. Uh, one of the architects of the New York Times 1619 project, her name is Nicole Hannah-Jones. She's a reporter for the New York Times. 
And she wrote an 8,000 word essay for the New York Times Magazine. It's called, What is Owed? And it's her treatise on why black people are owed 13 to 14 trillion, trillion dollars, dollars. Yeah. For in reparations from the government. And in this 8,000 word piece, she says, it doesn't matter what a black person does. Doesn't matter if you get married. Doesn't matter if you buy a home. Doesn't matter if you save. Doesn't matter if you get an education. She says none of those things can, quote, overcome 400 years of racialized plundering, unquote. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine if you're hearing that over and over and over and over again. And this is what your teacher is telling you. Right. In the 1619 Project curriculum. I mean, a month ago, the, they, they released a new unit called Reparations Math. In literally this math high school unit that the New York Times 1619 Project produced with the Pulitzer Center, reparations math is designed to help young people understand how, the, how to advise the U.S. government on what math equations to use to figure out how much black people are owed. That literally <laughs> is part of the intent of the curriculum. So yes, under those auspices, more and more young people are told that they're victims. And, and if you think you're a victim, you are. Yes. You know, and in my entire, you know, now close to 13, 14 years running public charter schools in the Bronx, I have never once had a parent come to me. You know, parents who are in low-income situations, they say, Mr. Rowe, please ensure that your curriculum teaches my son or my daughter how oppressed she or he is, how rigged the system is against them how much they're going to fail, how much we need the government to come to their rescue. Never, never once. And so I think it's really important not just to shout in the rain, but to build new institutions like the ones that we're building right now in the Bronx, Vertex Partnership Academies, to show what is possible when we elevate young people with high expectations. Absolutely. You know, with a picture of what they can achieve. So critical because uh, even when I was growing up, I mean, 60 years ago as a, as a fifth grader, um, people were saying, you can't succeed. The system is stacked against you. The man is after you. All this kind of crap. And, uh, you know, my mother wouldn't hear of it and made us start reading books and that really expanded my horizons way beyond the streets of Detroit. And uh, you become a citizen of the world instead of a citizen of a, of a neighborhood. And you start thinking differently then. No, that's a beautiful thing. You know, I define agency as the force of your free will guided by moral discernment. The force of your free will guided by moral discernment. Absolutely. And so we want our young people to know that they have free will. They have the power to decide for their life what they want to achieve. But where does the ability to exercise your free will come from? How do you learn how to become morally discerning? And that is why I write about my framework, free, family, religion, education, and entrepreneurship. All the things that they are pushing back against so hard. Huh? Yeah, that's why we have to push back even harder. Yeah. Well, uh, last thing I, I just want to ask you quickly is, how does religion impact agency? Well, you know, I've been doing this work for a long time, working with young people in lots of different backgrounds, rich kids, poor kids, white kids, black kids, Asian kids, Hispanic kids, kids in homeless shelters, adopted kids, kids in foster care. And I've seen kids over time who are in some pretty challenging situations as they enter young adulthood, make decisions where they recreate the same disadvantages that they grew up with. But I've also seen those same kids in those same challenging situations as they enter young adulthood, make different sets of decisions, which mm -hmm. put them on a very different trajectory. And in my observations, the things that I've seen among the things that's different about those kids who are on a different trajectory to improve their lives, that they've broken the cycle of disadvantage, 
is that they have lived by a moral code. They've lived by a set of rules that have informed their decision-making. And those rules, that moral code, has almost always been informed by an organized religion. Yes. Whether it's Christianity, Buddhism, it almost didn't matter what the religion is. However, the existence of a religious belief, a personal faith commitment, being part of a community of people that love you. So each week, whether it's a ritual of church going, um, that it's almost as if it's not only that you live by a moral code, but you're also part of a community of people that love you and expect you mm -hmm. to live up to that moral code as well. Right. So a personal faith commitment, and I write about this a lot in my book, is one of the anchors of leading a self-determined life. Absolutely. And if everybody is their own moral guidepost, you have people going around shooting mass mass shootings and all kinds of things that Correct. make no sense. No, well, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who have agency, who have free will, but exercise it in destructive ways. Yeah. So we as an institution, as a school, we want to impress upon young people the force, the positive force of family, religion, education, and entrepreneurship. If you want to lead a life of freedom, we have to empower young people to know the principles, the pillars, the four pillars of free to lead the kinds of lives that they aspire to. Absolutely. Well, I said that was the last question, but I actually have one more. <laughs> is, is there any hope that uh, we can uncomplicate the adoption process? Uh, well, I'm trying. Uh, you know, I, I lead, I'm chairman of the board of Spence Chapin, which is one of the oldest and uh, most incredible adoption agencies uh, in the country. We've existed for more than 100 years We've helped form more than 30,000 families over our 100 years for vulnerable children. We were one of the first um, adoption agencies to actually facilitate uh, interracial adoption, so black mm -hmm. children. Um, so we are pioneers, both in the United States and abroad. And yes, we're trying to, to make adoption more of a culturally acceptable choice. You know, it used to be that adoption was shrouded in secrecy. Mm. You know, uh, kids didn't know or found out way late, um, but we facilitate um, what's called open adoption, um, infant adoption. So even when young women may be facing an unwanted or unplanned pregnancy, Spence Chapin is one of the few uh, agencies that provides comprehensive options counseling to really help a young woman um, go through all of the different choices that they have. We'll even provide um, what's called interim care, where we have these wonderful volunteers who actually take care of the baby after birth mm. to give the birth mother usually the time and space to figure out what it is that they want to do, knowing that their baby is being taken care of, mm. love, medical care. And, and we found that that process is incredibly empowering Absolutely. for a young woman who didn't even know that this option was on the table. Yeah. Yes, we very much are hoping adoption can regain its place as a new way that strong families can be formed for vulnerable children. Well, I just want to thank you for what you're doing for our society. I mean, there's so much you could be doing with all your education and degrees that just accumulate unto yourself and you're giving back. And wow. it is so encouraging when I see people like you. Well, and, I've learned from you. So <laughs> thank you for your inspiration. Absolutely. And uh, we'll be right back with my prescription for this week. Uh, we had a wonderful conversation with Ian Rowe. And make sure you get his book, Agency. I think uh, this is something that can be very helpful to every aspect of our society. Ah. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy. Like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I'm glad you were able to join us for that discussion with Ian Rowe. What a fascinating individual who has just poured so much of himself into improving society, improving the life for so many young people. And, uh, you know, it's people like that that really inspire me. You know, for, uh, for this week's prescription, I'd like you to take a page out of my mother's book. She made us read books, two books apiece. You should, uh, your assignment is just to get your young person to read one book. It can be a classic. It can be a book that really made an impression on you and give you a book report and see that, that you take time out to discuss that with them. Uh, who are the characters? Uh, what points are being gotten across and get them interested in reading as a regular part of their daily routine rather than just looking at the screen on their iPhone. Reading books, reading novels, it really will expand their horizon tremendously. And you can always tell a reader because they know how to spell and they know how to put words together. But more importantly, it broadens their horizons just tremendously. And that's what we need right now to fill all the voids of ignorance that are fertile ground for those who want to control and manipulate people. Well, that's it for this week. Please subscribe for free to Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you don't miss any episodes. Rate us, review us, spread the word. Spread common sense. It's got to be common again. And remember, the four cornerstones, you know what they are. Faith, so important. We talked about it today. Liberty, community, and life. We'll see you next week.